<clears throat> amen and amen and amen. How are we doing, church? Everybody good? Well, Happy New Year. Congratulations. You have perfect attendance at church this year. So far, congratulations there. And you already look thinner. Uh, you really do. Uh, especially those of you at Bay Meadows. You really do. Hey, uh, if you got your Bibles, I hope you do. You're going to need it. We're going to be in 2 Timothy, as you may have heard. 2 Timothy, we are going to be there for the next nine weeks as we dive into this year. This is like vision weekend, so if you're kind of, you know, back to 1122 or new to 1122, uh, and you're kind of kicking the tires, this is awesome. What a great weekend to be here, because we're going to talk about what we think God has called us to do for all of 2019, so you will also need this vision piece, okay, because I will refer to it. We'll do Bible first, and then we'll do vision piece second, uh, which is probably a really good idea, and then there's also notes if you want to dive in. Now listen, in pulpits all over America this weekend, there are going to be really great sermons about how to unlock your potential for your best 2019. And I'm going to tell you, it ain't about you. And if you live all year for the sake of you, all you have at the end of the year is just you. It is terrible, okay? And in fact, in God's economy, the way he has wired this thing is the best way for you to have the best year ever is to pour yourself out for somebody not named you. And for all of 2019 and hopefully for the rest of our days, we want to live for the glory of God, pouring ourselves out for the sake of the gospel for others. And in 2019, I am calling our church to do whatever it takes to reach one more generation. That's what this thing is going to be about. Which is why we are studying 2 Timothy for nine weeks. Because 2 Timothy is all about um, passing the torch of faith on to the upcoming generation. This is about generations passing the faith to generations, to generations, to generations. That faith is not just something that happens to you, but faith should be something that happens through you. And so we're going to study this as Paul, the apostle, passes on some instruction to his protege, to, to one of his co-laborers in the gospel, young Timothy. I was talking to one of my buddies, you know, we preachers, this is, what else are we going to talk about? We talk about what we're going to preach about, and I said, we're doing 2 Timothy, and they're like, that's awesome. And uh, they said, what are you preaching on the first weekend? I'm, I said, I'm doing chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. And a buddy of mine, very, an incredibly gifted preacher, he said, that's not even, you can't preach that, that's just the intro. It's not even, and now the church that he's at is, has a much higher production value than we do. They have. I mean, it's like one time a laser beam shot out of his face and spelled Jesus. It was amazing. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and he's like, no, nah, it doesn't really get going to seven, but I, I disagree. I think that sometimes we read through some verses in the scripture and we think, oh, those are just kind of throwaway verses, but all scripture is God-breathed and every single word is worthy of our study. And so in this intro... Um, we're going to find a whole lot about why we're going to study this book, and hopefully it will be impactful to us, not just this year, but for the rest of our lives. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, starts out this way. Paul, that's who wrote it, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy. Now, real quick here, I always wonder why Paul always feels the need to introduce himself. I mean, doesn't he know Timothy? And the answer there is yes. They know each other very well. They traveled together doing missions and church planting for years. In fact, <laughs> you want to talk about knowing one of your ministry partners. In Acts chapter 16, we find out that when Paul chooses Timothy and hires him on his staff, Paul circumcises Timothy. So let's just say they know each other. You know what I mean? I know some brothers on our staff, but I don't know them like Paul knows them. And think about this, when you talk to somebody you know well, you don't introduce yourself. I don't call home and be like, hey, JP. He's like, hey, Dad, that's right, this is your father, graduate of Virginia Commonwealth University, Masters of Divinity, founding pastor of 1122, servant of the Most High King. He'd be like, I know, Dad, I know you. So why is Paul introducing himself to someone he knows this well, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. I think there's two things here. First and foremost, I think Paul wants Timothy to know, um, bro, this is not just like a casual little email. 
that the words that I am pinning towards you as an apostle chosen by Christ Jesus, as a fulfillment of the promise of Christ Jesus, that these are the very words of God. And you should take them very, very seriously. And then secondly, I think Paul, by reminding Timothy of who Paul is, in essence, he's reminding Timothy of who Timothy is. Three times in the first two verses, he's going to put another name here in this, in, in this introduction. Christ Jesus. And not Jesus Christ. Not name than title, but title than name. By the way, if you're new to Bible study, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is his title, Christos. It means anointed one, Messiah, Savior, King, Lord. That's what it means. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy is this. Hey, listen, Timothy. Don't let this world tell you who you are. Because we're going to find out here in a little while, if we kind of read between the lines, I think Timothy is the kind of kid that grew up with a whole bunch of labels. There's a whole bunch of people, this world, that slapped onto Timothy a bunch of labels that he has been dealing with his entire life. And Paul says, no, 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 Timothy, nobody gets to tell you who you are except Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus picked me as an apostle, and Christ Jesus told me to pick you as a pastor, and so only Jesus. Jesus gets to tell you who you are. Let me tell you why this is good news in 2019. Because 2018 does not get to define you. No matter how good of a year it was or how bad of a year it is, it was in the past and it is over. And Jesus is now calling us to move forward. And so Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. By the way, Billy Graham called 2 Timothy 1, 1b, the second half of that verse, he said he called it the gospel in miniature. That here is the gospel, the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. There's the gospel. You know what a promise is? A promise is I'm going to give you something. That's what a promise is. Not you're going to earn something, not you deserve something, but I am going to give you a gift. And what he's going to give us is life. The gospel is not turning over a new leaf. The gospel is that we get a new life in Christ Jesus. So Paul starts with Timothy. He starts with the gospel. Paul, this is why it's going to take me nine weeks. I hadn't made it through a verse yet, okay? <laughs> and I've been off for two weeks, so this could be a lock-in, so whatever, it's not my fault. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, and look what he calls him, my beloved child. Now listen, Timothy's young. Paul may be 10 years older than he is, but he's still a grown man. And yet Paul says to Timothy that he calls him my beloved child. Um, we don't use this kind of language in the church that much. Honestly, African-American churches do, and I think they really have something rich here. Well, I'll, I'll be running around with Cam Triggs and Dr. Eric Mason and Pastor Leonce Crump and some of my African-American pastor buddies, and they will introduce some people on their staff as sons in the ministry or this is my father. So what that would be like for us, I, I mean, I, I really think, I don't know that we're going to adopt it because I think it would be weird. Can you imagine me showing up to a conference and be like, uh, hey, I'm Pastor Joby and these are my boys. <laughs> That's my son Ryan. That's my other son Ryan. I got two Ryans. Look at them. Aren't they adorable? Yeah, they're both bald and bearded like me. I love them so much, right? So we call them Brit and Stone. <laughs> but I do think we're missing something. Because uh, much like Paul went and got Timothy after his conversion and said, come do ministry with me in a similar way, I went and got into the Ryans and said, come on, fellas, we all come do ministry with me. There's something missing in our church. Because in the, in the scriptures... Discipleship is not mass-produced. It's deeply personal. It's not mass-produced. It's deeply personal. Now, some people will push against big church like we have and be like, well, see, how can you do real discipleship if you do it this way? Well, here's the thing. The original church wasn't very, it wasn't small. Peter preached one time, and they grew to 3,000 people. After the first week, they were on the fastest growing church. They were the only church at that point, but still, they, were the, they grew 
by 3,000. We grew about 1,000 to 2,000 a year. They grew to 3,000 in the first meeting. And then they're probably like, nobody will come back. The second time Peter preaches, 5,000 more people come. So in two weeks, they're 8,000 plus. They're a little smaller than we are. So the church was huge, but somehow it was very well organized, and it was deeply relational. Let me ask you this. Do you have anybody in our church that you could call your spiritual father, or do you have anybody that you could look at that you were discipling and saying, this is my beloved child? Church, I would say, if not, let's say you've been here, I don't know, three years. If you don't have that, that means you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. That, that, <clears throat> that we need to create the kind of environments here. It is highly organized here. Every single person could sign up for a disciple group right now. You could. I tell you every week. Fill out the card, check the box, we'll call you, go to the Connect Center. You show up to a group of people, you get involved with some folks, and not overnight, but over time, hopefully what happens is that you can have these kind of relationships, which, by the way, part of the reason that I am very pro-intergenerational disciple groups is so that this thing can kind of happen, this kind of thing can happen. Um, We reach tons of millennials and tons of college students, and, and Christian experts call me and say, what's your secret? How do you attract millennials? I'm like, ridicule? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't, if you look around your disciple group and everybody's 20, oh, help you. I mean, the concentration of ignorance in one living room or Panera, you probably don't have a living room, the Panera. <laughs> it's astounding. Do you have these kind of people in your life? Because if, if you're going to be a part of this church, you can. You can. One of my favorite things about this church is we got some old people. I, I do, that is not pejorative. That is, I mean, it, it warms my soul. We, we got cool music and sweet videos and all that stuff. And yet, we have people in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and beyond who are here because of there's this move of God. And listen, you that have been a Christian for more than a few years, it's time for you to step up. And it doesn't have to be in some kind of super formal way. In fact, if you're in your 60s, you should be in like four disciple groups. Maybe one you would learn a thing in, maybe. But all the rest of them, you're just showing up going, Hey, look, I don't know it all. I've just been following Jesus longer than you. And what I could say about me is 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, follow me as I follow Christ. And it's not all about Bible verses, too. There's some millennials in here. They don't know how to balance a checkbook. They don't know what a checkbook is. There's just some, like, life stuff. Have a first kid. What about a retirement account? There's all of this sort of stuff. Do you have that kind of relationship? You should. Now, I know it's not fair, but I have elders. I have elders that I picked before I ever had a strategic meeting about the mission, vision, and values of 1122. I started with assembling a group of men that would be spiritual fathers to me. And they all are. In particular, Lars Peterson, Dr. Paul, in very different ways. Petey and I go hunting all the time. We ride in the truck up to the hunting land. And he puts his little Yoda, Yoda Jedi mind trick on me, and I tell him everything. Sometimes I tell him, oh, man, you know, Gretchen, we're struggling at home. And he goes, well, you know, it's not exactly a walking apart to be married to you. What? Are you, what? <laughs> Have you listened to my marriage sermons? They're amazing. <laughs> Dr. Paul's 84. You know what that means? He don't care anymore, man. He don't care what you think. He don't care what I think. He puts it on a list. He gives me, every year he gives me a top 10 list. It ain't top 10, here's your 10 things. Here's 10 things you should start doing. And then he gives me another one. Here's 10 things you should stop doing. He just puts them on a list. (laughs) I love it, man. You know how that happened? I I just was involved in our church. I mean, I was on staff, but I was involved in our church, and I just found these. I just got around people, and people that looked like they loved Jesus a lot, I just said, hey, will you buy me breakfast? 
That's how it started. I was a youth pastor. I couldn't afford breakfast, and they could. So that's how it started, man. You had these people in your life. You should. This is the heart of discipleship. This is it. The heart of discipleship is more mature believers being with less mature believers and saying, not learn this, but watch this. That's the heart of discipleship. And so he says to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace means that you receive what you don't deserve. Mercy means you don't receive what you do deserve. And peace means that you are right with God or that it is well with my soul. You put those three words together, grace, mercy, and peace, and you have the gospel. This means that Paul's relationship with Timothy is all about the gospel. This is what it will take to reach one more generation. And I'm not just talking about the little kids that are checked in right now. I'm talking about older generation in this room reaching a younger generation in this room so that that younger generation in this room is ready to reach the generation that is checked in in our kids' ministry so that when they grow up and it's their turn, they will be ready to reach the generation that hadn't even thought about being born yet. This is how the gospel moves throughout generation to generation to generation. And then Paul in verse 3 says this, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. Notice what's going on here. What Paul is saying here is what I'm doing is not new. It's just my turn. That I stand on the shoulders of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I stand on the shoulders of a faithful generation that came before me that passed on the stories of the goodness and the sovereignty of God. And so he says, I thank my God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. Now just parentheses real quick. Paul writes 2 Timothy from prison. It's one of his latest letters he writes. And after he writes this, I think he knows he's never getting out. So this is, his, this is one of the latest writings of Paul. And I believe something has happened in the heart of Paul between his writings of Romans and his writings of 2 Timothy. Because if you'll remember in Romans chapter 7, Paul begins to confess all over the pages of Scripture, something is wrong with me. What I don't want to do, these things I keep on doing, and the good that I want to do, I can't even do that. What a wretched man am I. And yet, somehow, over a span of years, now he's at the point where he says that he has a clear conscience. You know what I believe happened? I believe that Paul began to believe the gospel that he preached to himself in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think what we see here is the, the progressive sanctification of the apostle Paul as the gospel that he is writing in the words of Scripture pierces his own soul, that the gospel is not just the thing that, that got him into a relationship with God, but it is the thing that sustains him throughout his life here on earth. Back to the what we were talking about. So he says, I thank my God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So let me ask you, who, who's praying for you? Who do you have praying for you? Other than your mama. Your mama's praying for you, but here's the, here's the, uh, the prayers of a mama are more powerful than anything but the blood of Jesus, okay? No doubt. The problem with mama's prayers is you're not honest with mama, so she can't really pray for you because you're a liar, <laughs> So who's really praying? Do you have that? Who is really praying for you? If you've been attending this church and you can't answer that question, I, I'm not trying to be mean to you. You're not doing it right. The church is not an event you attend. It's a family that you belong to. And then the follow-up question would be, and who are you praying for this way? Who are you constantly remembering in prayer to God? Going to God on behalf of these people that he has knit you together with and you're begging God to move in their life, who are you praying for that way? This is what we're talking about in discipleship. Not that you learn some theological terminology, but that you get closer and closer and closer. You deepen your relationship with the Almighty God through deepening your relationships with one another here in the church and praying for one another. And he says... I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers 
night and day. Verse 4, as I remember your tears. I love Paul. Not our tears. He's like, I remember that time. I remember you were crying, baby. (laughs) He says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I mean, listen, this is, this is deeply relational. We don't use this kind of terminology very much anymore, do we? I mean, Olson's leading worship tonight. I didn't see Olson much over Christmas, you know? I love him. He's awesome. But I did not see him here tonight and be like, oh, my heart longed for you. <laughs> but Paul didn't mind saying that to Timothy. He says, I remember these times where we... We got together, and there were tears. Now, here's what's fun about my job. I I ask the questions like, okay, why why would Timothy be crying? What is Paul talking about when Timothy is crying here? And every commentator I can find, every single commentator, if you're new to Bible study, a commentator is somebody that just says, here's what I think it means, and then then we believe them. I don't know why, okay? So everyone says because they said farewell to one another. Now, nowhere in the text does it say farewell, okay? Okay? And I don't, I don't think that's what it is. Now, this is conjecture on my point, but I'm calling bullshit line on the farewell. Here's why I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Fellas, do you cry at farewells with your buddies? If it's going to be a long, I have ministry partners, ministry friends that I love dearly, and if I know I'm not going to see them for a long time, I'm like, bye. <laughs> Appreciate you. See you in heaven. Like, it's not a thing. There's one thing that will make every man cry. And I think that's what he's talking about, but it doesn't show up till verse 6. So hang on to it, okay? But what you can't deny here is that it is deeply relational. Deeply relational. It's it's very organic. Again, church is not just an event you attend. It's not. It is a family that you belong to. It is a body that you are connected to. And then he says, and I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And now, I am sure, dwells in you. Now, what do you notice that is not mentioned there? Dad. There's no dad mentioned. Now, in the 21st century, you go, hey, what, you know, no big deal. I'm telling you, in the first century, this is like, do what? Something has gone horribly wrong here. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, there's no mention of dad save uh, Acts chapter 16 when Paul goes and finds Timothy, who is already a disciple, and it says that his mother is a Jew who believes in the Lord, and all all it does is it names his father's ethnicity, but nowhere else is he named. He's not named as as a father. He's not named anywhere else, which means either he's absent or there's a broken home or something has gone wrong here. So I think there's a lot for us to hang out on. First of all, as we talk about what it means to reach one more generation, I know there's a whole bunch of folks sitting in all of our campuses here, and you would say that, um, hey, listen, what am I going to do? I'm just a single mom. And I would say, that's how Timothy grew up. That's how Timothy grew up. I know there's a bunch of us that would look at our family structure and we would say it doesn't exactly line up with the ideal in the scriptures. And what I would say is where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. Grace abounds. This is why we need each other. This is why we need each other. Not only that, can you imagine what it was like to grow up as young Timothy? I mean, he was labeled. We're going to find out all kinds of stuff about Timothy in 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy. Um, We find out that there must be, I mean, he's a timid kid. He must be. Because the thing that Paul is going to pray for him over and over and over and over, he's going to say, hey, listen, Timothy, for God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. We know that he's kind of like a weakly guy. Like like there's something wrong. He must be, Paul says this, Paul says, hey, you need to drink a little wine at night to take care of that stomach issue. I, heard, I read one commentator, he was so afraid of that verse, he says, I think he meant to apply it externally. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's what he meant, but. but. But what we see here happening, even without a dad on the scene, we see the faithfulness of mom and grandma. 
and, and they can't make Timothy believe anything, but somehow God has used mom and grandma to pass the torch of faith to Timothy. He's used mom and grandma, and, a, and some kind of something went wrong here, and yet he's used these two ladies to influence one of the most influential pastors in the history of the kingdom of God. I can guarantee you, you won't be talking about me 2,000 years from now, and here we are doing a study on the life of a kid named Timothy. You see, maybe in the kingdom of God, success is not what we accomplish, but success is who we raise. And what if here at Church of 1122, what if the thing that God is really doing isn't even this? What if we are like the launch pad on which God is going to do the real thing? You see, what if our church is more like, a, more like an aircraft carrier? And like, it's not, we're not so much in the battle, but what if we are the thing that God is building up where we're launching out missionaries and launching out pastors and launching out vocational ministers in every walk of life, and that's going to be the move of God, not a whole bunch of people showing up to our buildings all over the city. What if this is the thing where we just gather up to bask in the glory of God to get all filled up so that we can go out there and take the glory of God into the darkest places of Jacksonville and to the very ends of the earth? You have no idea what hangs in the balance. And neither, neither did this grandma and this mom. And so he says this. By the way, this next verse is the main point of the whole book. It's not the most important thing said in the book, which Paul does this all the time. You know the difference? Like I could say, I'm starving because there is a worldwide famine. The point of what I'm saying is that I'm starving. The most important thing I'm saying, worldwide famine. That's much more important. However, it is modifying the fact that's why I'm starving. So here's what he is saying to him for the whole book. For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Here's what I think. We find out in Acts 16, we find out in Acts 20, I think, 23, or it could be 23, 32, whatever. You won't look it up. Uh, it's one of those two. That Paul gathers the elders of the church at Ephesus, and Paul, along with the elders, lays his hands on young Timothy. And God, this is post-salvation, so he's got the Holy Spirit, okay? They recognize a call on, on Timothy's life. Timothy is going to be commissioned to go and be the pastor at the church of Ephesus. Crazy church, man. There's riots in Ephesus. It blows up. I mean, it is like the thing. And Paul is going to look at him. This is where we're going to spend all of our time next week. I wish I had two hours tonight because this week's message and next week's are going to get all jumbled up. And here's what he's going to say. For God did not give you the spirit of fear. And the reason I think he tells him this, why? It's because he was afraid. It's the same reason God in Joshua chapter 1 tells Joshua three times, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Why? Because he's weak and afraid, weak and afraid, weak and afraid. It's why 365 times in the Bible there is some version of don't be afraid, fear not, be anxious for nothing. Why? Because that's what we are full of, fear and anxiety. And now imagine Timothy. You want to know where I think the, way, the tears come from? Timothy grows up without a dad or an absent dad or not a spiritual father. And along comes the apostle Paul and says, I'm an apostle chosen by God, and I choose you, Timothy. Come on, I want you to go and do ministry with me. And they do ministry for years and years and years. And then one day on the beach, according to a chapter in Acts, Paul and the elders lay their hands on young Timothy. And this is the most spiritually authoritative human being on the planet at that point, and definitely a father figure, kind of spiritual mentor to Timothy for sure. And this man of God, on behalf of God, speaks the word of God into this man called by God. There ain't a brother in the room that can keep his eyes dry when that happens. I've been there. About, I don't know, about right here. On September 22nd, 2012, before the church opened. We're all in here cleaning up, trying to get the place ready for all you people showing up all the time. About to have our first service. 
nothing works. <laughs> it, it looked like if, if you know, it was, you have friends, hey man, we're in the neighborhood, we're gonna stop by, and you're like, oof, and you do that flight of the bumblebee cleanup thing, and you don't care about anything else, just the living room and the walk in part has to be okay. If you open the closet, you're dead, right? So that was your church. That's what, ha- that's what it looked like back there, but out here, and the elders stopped. And they said, kneel down. And on behalf of the almighty God, they spoke into a kid that's scared to death because I've never led a church before. And I believe this is what Paul is doing for Timothy. And, when, and especially with a kid has got some daddy issues, didn't grow up with a dad home, that has never happened before in his life. He's never had a, a male authority figure on behalf of God speak life into him. And when Paul does this, I think he says, and I remember your tears. And here's what he says. That's what we're going to spend all of next week about, that thing right there. That I, I'm not Paul, you're not Timothy, but, uh, but in a similar way, next week, we're going to spend the entire sermon on is that moment right there. On behalf of the church of 1122, if you've never had that next week, I want to um, symbolically lay my hands on you and speak the word of God over you so that you would know that God has not given you a spirit of fear. And I'm praying next week that the chains of fear will be broken because fear is a liar and you've been believing it. And so if you know anybody that's afraid, you should come back, okay? You should come back because that's where we're going to be. But here's what Paul does. In that moment, God gives him a gift, and he says this, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Church, my job as one of your pastors is to make that thing a reality for every single one of you. This is what, the way we would say it is this, is that we're a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know I can't make you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I can't make you discover it. I can't make you deepen it. I can't. I can't, you know, we're in, the, we're in this one initiative, the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. I can't make you love anything. But what my job is, what all our staff, elders, deacons, Disciple group leaders, all of our job is this, is we are just trying to create that kind of environment where you can fan that flame of the gift of God that is in you. That's what every event we do is about. That's what every ministry we have is about. If you hold up this vision piece, I'm going to walk you through this. That is what this is. This is what we believe God is calling us to do. That over this next year, that we would be able to fan the flame of the gift of God that is in us. And that gift is that relationship with Christ Jesus. And so I want to walk through this, because it's exciting, man. It really is. It really is. If you open it up, the first thing you're going to see is a bunch of numbers. And I do think it is important before, uh, before we move on to what's next, I think it's always important to kind of hit pause and just reflect and thank God for what has been. You know, one of, one of the greatest ways you can trust the faithfulness of God going forward is by looking over your shoulder and just acknowledging the faithfulness of God in the past. I've used this example before, man. If, if, if you shoot a deer with a bow, they usually run off. Occasionally they don't, but it's usually a bad shot. It's a spine shot or you shoot them in the neck or something weird. But usually if you double lung them like you're supposed to, I don't see anybody writing this down. This is important stuff, okay? <laughs> to save your life one day if the zombie apocalypse comes, okay? And so... They'll run off, and then you got a blood trail them. And so what you do is you just walk through the woods, and you follow into blood, follow into blood, follow into sign. We'll call it sign, okay? That'll help you. We're following the sign. And then, and then it's important as you're going down the trail that you mark it. And you, you can go to Bass Pro Shop and buy markers, very expensive, or you can just use toilet paper. You put toilet paper in the tree. And here's the thing. When you get to a place and you can't tell where he went, the best thing to do is look over your shoulder and see where he's been. Because usually where he's been will help you understand where he's going. Then you find your deer, okay? You're welcome. <laughs> Sometimes in your walk with Jesus, you find yourself, you're walking along. Everything's going great, man. There's a lot of sign. There's a lot of sign. There's a lot of sign. And sometimes you get to a place and you're like, I don't know where he went and I don't know where I am. And one of the best things to do is to look over your shoulder and remind yourself of the faithfulness of God in the past because that will be the best predictor of the faithfulness of God in the future. That's all this is right here. This is not, these numbers, 
These, none of them are a celebration of 1122. Every single one of them are a celebration in the faithfulness of God. Now, the whole rest of the thing is about where we're going. When you're driving, the windshield should be a lot bigger than the rearview mirror. A lot of times, churches die because their rearview mirror gets bigger than the windshield. You can't see where you're going, okay? All they ever do is talk about the glory days, and that, they'll always be the glory days if that's all you ever focus on. And so we want to acknowledge the faithfulness of God in so many areas. Last year, 2018, was a year of deepening. Remember, 34 weeks in the book of Romans. All right, me and Kelly, that's all right, whatever. The crazy thing is, man, is while we were focused on deepening our relationship with God, that's what we were about. 52 devos and 34 weeks in Romans and, and uh, doctrine classes. And while we were focused primarily on deepening our relationship with Jesus, we grew more in attendance than we've ever grown. We were the sixth fastest growing church in the country last year. That we launched Arlington last year. How about that? Amen. I attended there last weekend. It's incredible. In fact, as of this weekend, we expanded our Mandarin campus. We had to add 350 seats there. That's pretty awesome. We grew to about 10,000 people. That's pretty crazy. How about at our Arlington campus alone, there have been over 250 salvations. Last year, we baptized 640 people. And this one's the one that blows me away. In 2000, whatever, last 18, we had 1,572 people that surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, sometimes people are like, why you got to have all them numbers? We're 1122. We are a number. Shut up. Okay, here's why. Every one of those numbers has a name. Every one of those names has a story. And Jesus died for every one of them. Let me tell you why it's important. Those 640 people that got baptized, one of them's named Reagan Capri Martin. She lives at my house, and it matters a lot. We baptized her this year. Amen? So it's incredible. But I still believe, even though God is so good to us and has been, our best days are still ahead. If you'll open this dude up, you'll see there's a bunch of stuff there about the one initiative. I'm going to do it out of order on purpose. That that we are one church and we are focused on connecting and discipling those 1,572 people that surrender to Jesus and everybody else that wants to be connected here. Okay, we are, we are not in the crowd business. We are in the discipling business. If you'll see this little triangle thing with a cross in it, this is our discipleship journey that we took our vision statement that we're a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you will just... Look at this, and you could go to our website, answer, ask, ask and answer a few questions, and it would help you understand what the next step of discipleship you need to take. And I would please, I would encourage you to do that. Because if you stop taking steps in your relationship with Jesus, then you can no longer be a follower and stand still. Those two things don't go together. And so I would highly encourage you, if you've never joined a disciple group or if you've never served or gone on a mission trip, I would encourage you to do that. If you flip it over a page, the real colorful one, it says 1122 life. Just like your family has rhythms, our church family has rhythms. We have Easter. That happens every year, okay? The reason I put it on here, put the date, is so you can begin to plan around it right now. I don't care when spring break is. You plan your year around Easter. Amen? All right, fine. I'll be here by myself. <laughs> Beach baptism, May 19th. All right? Change your family reunion, whatever you got to do. This is the coolest thing you've ever been to in your life. There will be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that will publicly profess that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. We'll do it at the ocean. It's the coolest party you've ever been to, ever. This year, we have family camp. See that? Family camp, June 17th to 20th or 20 to 23rd. The next year, our primary focus is on reaching one more generation, and a part of that means we want you and your entire family to go to family camp. And let me just tell you what I mean by family camp. I don't just mean moms and dads and their kids. Everybody is invited. I need some grandmamas. I need some widows. I need some young singles. I need all a part of the family because, again, you've heard the saying it takes a village to raise a child. Not today. You'll have a village idiot if you let that village raise the child. It takes the church, and the church is not just two married people with a few children. 
The church is all of us. And so we'll be doing family camp on those dates. There's the dates for saturated September 11th through 15th. Be there for that. And then finally, next year, we're doing something kind of different, which is really what we used to do. And we're calling it Christmas in a Box. And what this means is we're not going to have an official Christmas Eve service. Actually, we're going to have about 1,000 of them that we are going to put together some resources, put them in your hands, and you are going to host your own Christmas Eve services. I want somewhere between 50 and 100 of you show up to be trained so that you can host, like you can get together in your neighborhood at your little community center, and you can host your own, and we'll give you all the resources, like what to sing, and here's a candle to light, and a whole order of service, and the whole thing, train you in how to share the gospel, and even how to close the deal. You're going to be the one that says, if you're ready to surrender your life right now, raise your hand. You're going to do that thing, okay? And then we're all going to gather up together the information about our Christmas Eve services that literally happen all over the world, because the movement of the gospel cannot be contained by a couple of buildings around Jacksonville. So that's kind of the, the events of what we're doing. And the reason we do this, if you flip back to the one stuff, it says this, it's to reach one more. Why are we focused on one more? Because Jesus would leave the 99 for the one. Because Acts 11, 11, 24 says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. A great number of people. And a great number is one more. And so what we're going to do over this next year to reach one more is we're going to plant 75 churches all over the world, in Brazil, in East Africa, in the Middle East, in other forsaken places like California, <laughs> and Orange Park, <laughs> literally, and Daytona, and Pittsburgh, and Pretoria, South Africa, and Malawi, not Maui, some of you are like, I'm going to that one, no, Mal Malawi, and Scotland, and Beirut, and Wales, and maybe France, and Kuwait City, 75 churches you will plant next year, Amen. Also, in order to reach one more, we are starting at least two more campuses. And one of those campuses, our fifth campus, starts right now. Church of 1122, would you please welcome to our church family the men that are attending right now a service at Baker Correctional Institution. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, fellas. Welcome. Thanks for being a part of what we're doing. Amen. Amen. They will be with us every single week because they are a part of our church. Also, uh, we will be opening our Fleming Island campus at Easter. So a bunch of you need to go there. Amen. And then we got a couple more that we're, that we're looking at doing. So pray for that, okay? In addition to that, you need to be praying for that one more person that God has placed in your life to share the good news of the gospel. So we're one church to reach one more and especially one more generation. Again, success may not be what we accomplish, but it may be measured according to God and who we raise. And so this means that at all of our campuses, we will be expanding or assessing all of our spaces for our students and our kids. Right here at our San Pablo location, we will expand and redesign the whole thing. In fact, for those of you that are attending here, all the space that we're sitting in right now, we're giving to the kids. It's all going to students and kids, okay? And so we got to move over to the Hobby Lobby, and so we will do that in 2020 because they're not your chairs anyway, all right? So we're going over there. Like I said before, we'll be doing family camp. We'll also have an opportunity to do family mission trips. Go to the website, and you can take your entire family on the mission field for a short-term trip. Not only that, we have hired our special needs director. We will introduce you to her coming up. And the reason is this, is because we're a movement for all people and all means all. All means all. And so in just a few weeks, we'll be rolling out the red carpet for families that have children with special needs. Listen, the reason that we're doing that, amen. And again, here's why I give you this thing, man. Every year we do, here's what we do in January. I preach this. We baptize people, and we teach the Bible. So what we do. Guess what we're going to do next year? Same thing. Here's why. Because uh, I want to be very clear about what our church is about. And we are about the glory of God, and this is, this is what God has called us to do in 2019. And so if you're like, well, I don't care about one generation, well, then get out. Okay, go find somewhere else. <laughs> but you are surrounded by people that are saying, I'm all in. 
And the reason is because this. Remember in, remember in Joshua chapter 24, it's kind of the end of Joshua's reign. I, don't, I hope it's not the end of my reign. But it's the end of Joshua's reign. And he says, he, he draws a line in the sand. And he says, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And all the Israel came together and said, us too, Joshua, us too. And they had seen some mighty, mighty things. They crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. They took over the promised land. They, they kicked out the people that God said kick out. They marched around the city of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. And then you turn over two pages, maybe, in your Bible. Judges 2.10. And that generation went to be with their fathers, and another generation came up, and they neither knew the Lord or the works of his mighty hand. You see, the reason that we're studying... 2 Timothy is because what Paul was saying to Timothy is not on my watch. Paul did some amazing things, did he not? Planted more churches, greatest missionary of all time. Wrote the majority of the epistles in the New Testament. And yet, Paul's life demonstrates that success is not measured in what he's done, but real success, according to the kingdom of God, is in who you raise. So imagine that moment, and there's Paul, and there's Timothy who grew up with labels, no dad to train him, nobody had ever spoken life into him, and then there is the Apostle Paul with his hands upon him, calling him into ministry, speaking the word of God into his life as the tears pour down his face. You see, folks, faith is not simply given to you but it should be given through you. What price are you willing to pay to reach one more generation? That's what this year is about. What price are you willing to pay to reach one more generation? If you don't have somebody pouring into you, get in the kind of environment where those kind of relationships can happen. If you are not pouring into somebody else, get over yourself. It ain't all about you. Put yourself in those situations where you can pour into somebody. You see, I know, I get it. Sometimes you hear something like this and you think, well, yeah, you know, I'm not in, Paul's in ministry, Timothy's in ministry, that's how ministry works, but I, do, I just have a job, like I'm a boss of some people, okay? Why don't you ask the Spirit of God what it would look like for you to mentor? What, what, would you, what if you asked the Spirit of God what it would look like for you to influence? There's this, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, social media thing flying around all over the place right now that I think exemplifies what we're talking about as good as I've seen anywhere. You know that this week, Coach Mark Rick retired. In case you don't know who he is, uh, he, he retired as the head coach of the Miami Hurricanes. For 15 years, he was the coach at University of Georgia. And we fired him because he couldn't win the big game. So we hired another guy that can't win the big game either, but he's more intense about it, so we feel good. Okay, so I don't know. I don't understand. It's true, man. So anyway. After he retired, Artie Lynch, who was number 88, played tight end for Georgia, graduated in 2013. He just wrote this on his Instagram account. Thought I'd close with it. He says, now that he's retired, I don't think Coach Mark Rick would mind me sharing his story that perfectly illustrates who he is as a football coach and, more importantly, as a man. It was January 2011. We had just finished the season six and seven with a loss to UCF in the Liberty Bowl. Coach Mark Rick called a team meeting, which wasn't abnormal during that time of year, as we usually met as a team before the second semester to go over classes, workouts, goals, etc. However, this meeting was surrounded by rumors that Coach Rick was offered another coaching job for more money at his alma mater, and we believed he was going to take it. Obviously, we wouldn't have blamed him due to the pressure of coaching in the SEC and the fact that he was now on the quote-unquote hot seat. And as we sat down, there was a single chair in front of the team meeting room, which we all knew to be the hot seat, usually set up during preseason. The hot seat, for those who don't know, is an opportunity for any member of the program to get in front of the team and share his own personal story, normally meant for seniors. Others have sat there before, and that day was Coach Rick's turn to speak his truth. We were expecting his farewell. But what we were given was the most revealing and telling depiction of who Coach Rick truly was as a man. 
He explained that he wanted nothing more than to win a championship and finish his job here at Georgia, but believed it was not his sole purpose. His purpose was to raise each of us as if we were his own and fulfill the promises he made to our parents and loved ones. As he continued, he then asked for those of us who had been raised in broken homes or without a father to raise their hands. Over half the room, including myself, raised their hands. He scanned the room. By the way, if you were raised in a broken home or without a father, would you raise your hand? That would be me. Look. Over half the room, including myself, raised their hand. He scanned the room, and after a long pause, he said, See, my job is not just to win football games. It is to make sure in 20 years that your sons are not sitting in these seats raising their hands. My job is to mold each of you into good husbands, fathers, men, who also happen to be great football players. There wasn't a player in the room who didn't want Coach Mark Rick to be the man who brought UGA championships. And against all odds, we ended up winning the SEC East the following season. Each one of us who played for Coach Mark Rick were forever grateful for his wisdom, guidance, and love that he gave over those years. He was an incredible football coach who never lost sight of what was most important about his job, and that was the well-being of his players. Thank you, Coach. We love you, Artie Lynch. Folks, I was led to Christ not by a preacher, not by an evangelist, but by a football coach. This man, who loves Jesus like crazy, this man decided he would dedicate his life to reach one more generation and use whatever platform God would give him to do that. I'm telling you, as an avid dog fan, he probably could have won a whole bunch more if he did it the way everybody else did it. But as Christians, we're not called to do it the way everybody else does it. And he's a football coach. So Church of 1122, what are we willing to do? It will not be enough if reaching one more generation only happens here at the church buildings. It will become a move of God when reaching one more generation moves out throughout this city and throughout the world. And you, ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, do whatever it takes to lay your hands on an upcoming generation in whatever way makes sense in your context. And you speak life and you speak truth in them. And whether they believe what you believe, the one thing they will not be able to deny is that because God loved you, you love them. That's what this year is all about. That's what this year is all about. And I'm asking you to join me. That faith is not simply something that happens to us. That faith is a thing that happens through us. Would you please stand with me and pray? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you and I praise you for the men and women of all different generations that you have called together into one body, one family, one church, this local expression of your body. God, I pray that we as individuals would hear the words of Paul, that we would fill your hands on our heads commissioning, commissioning us, that you did not give us a spirit of fear. And God, oftentimes, especially in the church, when you call us to do very big things, a lot of your people get so fearful, but that cannot come from you because you don't speak the language of fear. But God, that we would be reassured through our own tears that you give us the spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And God, I pray that this year would be marked not by being our best year ever, but it would be marked by us pouring ourselves out to do whatever it takes for the generations that will stand on our shoulders for the glory of the one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. God, I thank you that like Timothy, that even and especially if we did not grow up in a perfect situation, we have a perfectly heavenly Father, and you have been working in all situations for the good of those that love you and are called according to your purpose. And God, I pray that you would do a mighty, mighty work in us and through us and to us, but all for you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.